May I bid you good morning to the Lord's house as we come to the adult Bible class. Welcome to those joining us online. Um, let us open in prayer, please. Lord, we come before Thee upon this Sabbath morn and we thank Thee that we are found in Thy house. We thank Thee, Lord, for Thy mercy and Thy grace that has saved our souls and Thy providential kindness that has brought us to hear more of Christ and his ways, of his law. And as we are considering the, the shorter catechism still, and we come to the tenth commandment, we pray that thou will enable us to understand and bless us by thy word. Forgive our sins, O God, pour out thy spirit upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Please open your copies of God's Word to uh, 1 Timothy 6. And as I'm reading through this, this section, I'm... I'm puzzled myself why I chose it or why I jotted it down, unless it was, well, it can't be 2 Timothy 6. It doesn't exist. But we'll read it anyway. It might not be apt. (laughs) 1 Timothy 6, verses 1 to 10, as we're considering the 10th commandment. Let as many servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, that the name of God and his doctrine be not blasphemed, And they that have believing masters, let them not despise them, because they are brethren, but rather do them service, because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, Whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness. Oh yes, now I know why. From such withdraw thyself, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen. And if we open up our copies of the Shorter Catechism, We are now at question 79 and 80. And question 79 um, merely tells us what the Tenth Commandment is. Uh, Which is the Tenth Commandment is the question, and the answer is, the Tenth Commandment is, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And then question 80 is, what is required in the Tenth Commandment. As usual, we have the requirements of the commandment, and then we have those things that are forbidden in the commandment, but that's question 81. But question 80, what is required in the Tenth Commandment? And the answer is, the Tenth Commandment requireth full contentment with our own condition, 
with a right and charitable frame or attitude of spirit toward our neighbor and all that is his. So what is required in the 10th commandment? What is our duty in the 10th commandment? The 10th commandment requireth full contentment with our own condition, with a right and charitable frame of spirit toward our neighbor and all that is his. Let me just briefly close this door. So the sin of covetousness, although it's sort of treated last in the, in the list of the Ten Commandments, is, is far from a minor sin. There are no, as it were, minor or major sins in this regard. And there is a, a, a duty that we are being required of in this commandment. And what is that? Well, that is that of a godly attitude, of, a, of an inclination of the soul uh, to perform the duties as it is with all commandments. And this commandment is very much linked with the previous commandments of the second table when it comes to covetousness. It has a, a, a relationship in the sense, I'll briefly go through them, you, you covet by rebelling against authority. You're, you're coveting another's authority, whether that be primarily parental authority or any other's that God has determined as coveting then in the sixth commandment you covet someone's life which is not yours to take again it's given by God it's, it's coveting to take that which God has not given you which is really what all of these the ideas of these uh, the covetous aspect of these other commandments coveting to have sexual relations that you have no covenantal right to there's the coveting uh, by stealing that which belongs to another. Uh, there's coveting by using falsehoods to, about another person's behavior, stealing uh, their reputation. And we see how that is, uh, is linked to, to all of these commandments. We see how covetousness is, a, we could say, a partner in crime to all of the commandments of the second table especially. You might even call... Uh, the Tenth Commandment, the back door to law-breaking. It opens the door for the law-breaking by all the commands. And as we shall see, that at its very heart, it is the sin of ingratitude for what the Lord has granted us, and it is the sin of desiring to possess that which the Lord has granted someone else. So there's those two aspects uh, which, some of which we will look at uh, today as we're considering the requirement of the Tenth Commandment. And so the title of this teaching is taken from uh, chapter 6, verse 6 of 1 Timothy, Godliness with Contentment, or in this case, Contentment with Godliness. Contentment with Godliness. And the three points I'd like us to look at, and first... One is not found, the first point is not found in the commandment, but it's certainly uh, concerning the, 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 the tenth commandment. Tenth commandment, sorry. And first, therefore, is Catholic confusion. Catholic confusion. 
So we read, first of all, that the tenth commandment is, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. These are the wording from Exodus 20. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy servant. So, firstly, then there's the fraud that Rome commits when it comes to the tenth commandment. Because Rome maintains a different Ten Commandments than are in the Scriptures. And the reason for that is, is because they do practice a form of idolatry. When they worship Christ and when they venerate the saints. And therefore they must hide that clear command of the Second Commandment that says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. And then it goes on to say, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them. Now that is then, of course, a direct rebuke against Romish worship in the using of statues, of idols, in the, in the act of, of worship. And they do indeed bow down to them. And they do make graven images of the Lord and of others. So, therefore, Rome has needed to hide the second commandment. And so they pretend that it is some extension or some detail of the first commandment. And so when they have a summary of the Ten Commandments, there's never ever where it says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven images, as we would sum up uh, uh, and keep short the Ten Commandments. And so what we have then is that the Third Commandment then becomes the Roman Catholic Second Commandment. So thou shalt have no other gods before me, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord God in vain. And, and so it goes down. All of those commandments are now, as far as we're concerned, then shifted up one. And so they come to their final commandment, is thou shalt not covet, and that leaves them with nine commandments. But how can they then say, according to the Scriptures, that there are ten commandments? Well, they do so by splitting up the tenth commandment into two separate commandments. Where the, where it, where the tenth commandment says, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, they say that is the ninth. And then they say, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, and the rest of that verse and they say that this is the tenth. So essentially they're saying they are, there are two commandments against coveting. That is the fraud that Rome commits as regarding the tenth commandment. Secondly, the truth then that contradicts Rome. And we can easily, and this is not even going to be a long uh, theological uh, exposition by any means, we easily contradict Rome's deception by merely looking at the wording of the ten commandments in Deuteronomy 5. The Lord, in his wisdom, has changed the order of wording of the Tenth Commandments, of the Tenth Commandment, and specifically then in Deuteronomy 5 and verse 21. And he puts, the Lord puts the desiring of the neighbor's wife before the coveting of his house. And when it reads this, that neither shalt thou desire thy neighbor's wife, neither shalt thou covet thy neighbor's house his field or his manservant or his maidservant, his ox or his ass, or anything that is thy neighbor's. So it's clearly that which is about unlawful desire, covetousness, is put together in that one verse in Deuteronomy 5. The Lord is not confused as to the order, the content of the Ten Commandments in the slightest, and we can rely upon his word to do that. So there are ten commandments and there is only one commandment against covetousness. <coughs> so that's Catholic confusion that we've, we've looked at. Secondly then we come on to the words of the Catechism answer. 
concerning contentment. Contentment. Being happy with what you have. And the wording is, the tenth commandment requireth full contentment with our own condition. So firstly, let's consider what that expression, full contentment, is. We're commanded to have full contentment because by our fallen nature, we are not content with our lot. Generally speaking. And and so it means, what does it mean then? It means then that within our fallen nature that we have covetous starings, we have corrupt desires against all the commands of God. We are by nature against the commandments of God because those commandments are holy and we are by nature not holy. Even after the rebirth, we still drag along a corpse that is dead to God and full of sinfulness. Romans 7, verses 7 to 8, says something of this relationship between the covetous flesh and God's law. Uh, What shall we say then? He begins in verse 7 of Romans 7. Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law, for I had not known lust. Again, another word for covetousness in this case. Except the law had said, thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought or worked in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead again. That word concupiscence has the idea of desire, of grasping, of lusting after that which has not been given you by God. But the ninth commandment requires that which we is against our state. It is against our own sinful condition. It demands that we have full contentment with our condition, our state of life, where we are, what the Lord has given us. And as we read in 1 Timothy 6 and verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And we could open up that verse more to see uh, the, 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 the partnership that is between godliness and contentment. And we will mention that a few times, that you cannot have one without the other. Now this word uh, condition, it doesn't just refer to our health and our wealth or our lack of it, it's, it includes the position in life where the Lord has put us, whether we be, and we may be more than one of these things, whether we be employee or employer, whether we be parent, whether we be child, whether we be man or woman, whether we be uh, husband or wife, whether we be congregant, whether we be office bearer, whatever, wherever we are and wherever the Lord has put, it, put us, is something of that state of life, that condition where we are. So that's what I mean by condition. That's what the, the, the catechism means. So in that condition, therefore, we are to have a full contentment. And that means, that doesn't mean that we are happy with all the circumstances that we have around us, the circumstances that we find ourselves in, that doesn't mean to say that in spite of problems, uh, that we're just to put on, a, a, as it were, a, a, a false smile and pretend to others uh, that there's no problems and deny um, our, to ourselves that there are real problems. No, in spite of the problems, in spite of the difficulties, 
to have full contentment. That's why you cannot have real biblical contentment without true biblical godliness. So full contentment then means a humble, and some would even say a cheerful, acceptance of the lot, of the state, of the condition in which the Lord has been pleased to carve out for us in this world. And the Lord has done that by his holy, his wise, and his kind providence providence towards us. Hebrews 13 and verse 5 touches upon this. It's The apostle writes, let your conversation, that is your behavior and lifestyle, be without covetousness and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And so there there is an important thing to understand that we do touch upon it later. That it's because we have the Lord with us because the Lord is with us, he's by our side, he, he will not forsake us, he will not reject us, he will not abandon us to the problem, it's bec- whatever circumstance we're in, that we can be content. For although we might ha- not have the solutions to the problems that we face, we may not have the monies uh, that we need or we would like, we have Christ with us. And it has pleased Christ to put us into that place and that condition, and therefore that wisdom of God, the providential wisdom of God is not to be doubted, it's not to be murmured against, it's not to be sinned against. And as I mentioned, full contentment is absolutely contrary to our fallen nature. We're restless, we're greedy, we're ungrateful, sinfully ambitious, I make a difference, we can be ambitious, that's not in and of itself sinful, but we can be sinfully ambitious. Just imagine somebody who climbs the, the ladder in a, a corporate ladder, as it were, trampling on people's heads as they, they, they rise to the top. Uh, that is a sinful, uh, um, um, way, a, way of, a sinful way of ambition, shall we say. So without God's grace, full contentment is unattainable in this life. But with God's grace, we may, we may learn and we must learn And as with all methods of learning, these things are step by step. We must learn. That's how the natural way of learning. Step by step to accept the Lord's sovereignty over all that he has determined for us personally. We often talk about the sovereignty of God and we we think of God ruling all things. He rules the nations. He rules the kings and the, the presidents and prime ministers. He he, he rules all of those things, but we can, we can be so general and so abstract and so, so uh, uh, with, a, with, a, with a view that is so far out that we forget that, that God is absolutely sovereign in our own personal lives. And we have a good God, and we have a merciful God. And so we need to then, by God's grace, step by step, as I've mentioned, accept his sovereignty over us and accept that which is determined for us. And we have the encouragement that other saints in the world have gone through this learning process. They have gone through this learning process and by God's grace they've been able to accept uh, that which the Lord has put in their lives 
because of God's grace. So the Apostle Paul is the great example in this. Philippians 4, verses 11 and 12, Paul says or writes, Not that I speak in respect of want or lack, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed, both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. So again, by the grace of God, Paul, as we know in other places in the New Testament, when he speaks of the trials of his life, through those trials and those difficulties, he's learned more and more to put his hope uh, upon the Lord. So we have that, uh, that full contentment uh, we've mentioned. We move on then to consider the contentment with blessings. Contentment with blessings. So now we're examining this full contentment, but now in the context, firstly, of having many blessings, of having riches even, because even when we are granted a prosperous, a blessed condition, without grace, without God's grace, without God's help and God's working within us, we will still not reach full contentment. And again, that's because of our natural sinful ambition, our natural sinful covetous desires have not been dealt with anyway, in any way. And so that desire to having found riches in some way is to desire to have more and to have more. And there are many, there are many examples in the world of those who are rich and their one goal in life is to gain more wealth and more power. And then they gain more wealth and more power and they want even more wealth and more power. They're, they are never satisfied. A great biblical example is, of course, King Ahab, the seventh king of the northern kingdom of Israel. He had the entire kingdom at his disposal. I mean, not that it was all his personal, uh, personal property, but he had the whole kingdom, he had an army, he had uh, wealth, he had palaces, and yet he was not satisfied. He was not satisfied until his large regal gardens could be extended to include a vineyard. A vineyard that he desired, that he coveted, that he wanted, but it wasn't his. It belonged to Naboth. 1 Kings 21 and verse 4, just give us a brief content of this. And Ahab came into his house, that is, into the palace, heavy and displeased because of the word which Naboth the Jezreelite had spoken to him. For he had said, I will not give thee the inheritance of my fathers. And he, that is, is Ahab, laid him down upon his bed and turned away his face and would eat no bread. He sulked. He was upset because his covetousness, his uncontrolled covetousness could not be fulfilled. And then we see how his covetousness led to lies. If you know this story, and I trust you do, it led to lies, it led to murder, uh, sorry, and ultimately then theft, theft of the vineyard. He still had no right to take the vineyard, but Naboth had, was dead. So those things to fulfill the covetous desire. So when the Lord has granted prosperity, however modest or not, it is good that we understand that those possessions that we have 
firstly have been given to us by God and secondly are to be used by us to the glory of God and, and thirdly they're short-lived they are short-lived we could use the word vanity they're vain in, in that sense all things as mentioned are ultimately God's own possessions that he's been pleased to to grant us for a time for a season on earth maybe for the whole of our life maybe for just a short period in our life but they are not the riches that we have the true riches are not that gold and that silver that the Lord may or may not grant us it's remembering this that the he who has granted us prosperity is our chief good that he is our highest good our our greatest riches he is our eternal inheritance psalm 16 and verses 5 to 6 says the lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup thou maintainest my lot the lines have fallen unto me in pleasant places yea i have a goodly heritage as we examined last tuesday so we can have contentment with great blessings but we're also to have contentment with few blessings at least few blessings as regarding health and wealth because we are also to have that contentment that non-murmuring that that humble gratitude and contentment even when there are dark dispensations or dark providences brought into our life uh, by the Lord and what do we then consider yes poverty that's I would say the first thing that comes to mind ill health bodily afflictions in some way the reproach of others so difficulty in relationships and even the loss of loved ones oh, these are the things that we can consider but make life very difficult and yet we are to have the contentment of what the Lord has brought into our path it does not mean that we're passive it does not mean we're to be passive that we are to be foolish uh, by not taking responsibility for our own condition and just staying there in the circumstance when when we could work uh, or do something to improve them <coughs> there's something interesting in the prophet Hosea that speaks of the people of God specifically Ephraim and saying that they've become sinfully passive how do we read that read in Hosea 7 verses 8 to 9 Ephraim he hath mixed himself among the people among the Gentiles Ephraim is a cake not turned strangers have devoured his strength and he knoweth it not yea gray hairs are there here and there upon him yet he knoweth not strangers have devoured his strength and he knoweth it not yea, yea I think I've just repeated that strangers have devoured his strength and he knoweth it not yea gray hairs are there here and there upon him yet he knoweth him not is verse 9 then that really expresses the fact that there is something uh, being done to Ephraim and Ephraim is not lifting a finger they're being passive and yet they are to do something there is that natural duty of of protecting uh, of, of strengthening yourself and especially of looking to the Lord for for help and yet having a contentment having a submission to the Lord's providence to the Lord's will 
without being despondent, without having a victim mentality, without murmuring, especially against God, but murmuring about your lot, is, is that which is required even under the severest troubles that we can have in this life that can befall us. Ezra 9 and verse 13 says this, And after all that has come upon us for our evil deeds and for our great trespass, seeing that thou, our God, hast punished us less than our iniquities deserve, and hast given us such deliverance as this. As in many aspects, in many parts of the Christian walk, learning to, to humble ourselves under God, and in this case, under God's providence and under God's sovereign workings and dealings in your life, is that key to the godliness uh, which leads to contentment. And even when it comes to our contentment in life, what are the grounds of contentment in life, even when we have so little again, it is the Lord. We may, not, we may have financial poverty, we may have ill health, we might have difficulties that we are unable to deal with. If we're, if we're unwell, then we'll seek the help of a doctor, we'll use medication. If we're in financial poverty, then we'll seek to, to make an agreement with our debtors, then we will, we will work hard and maybe get a, get a second job and save more and all this to pay off the debts. Whatever the things that we are actively to do, even when our situation is difficult, and yet what are the grounds of our contentment even in difficulties. James 2 and verse 5 says, Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? So, although our lot in this life may be difficult, there may be, as I said, financial pressures, there may be pressures of, of ill health, but there is a greater eternal wealth and a, a greater eternal happiness that awaits those that love the Lord. And, and so the troubles in life, the difficulties in life, these, these dark providences in life that the Lord grants to us are short-lived when compared to the eternity of glory. And not forgetting the truth that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. The Lord will use these things for our good and for his glory. And as I mentioned, we're not to be passive. We can by all means educate ourselves to get a better job, invest, save money, uh, improve our state in lives. Even, even slaves who were commanded not to be rebellious against their own masters, as we read in 1 Timothy 6. And they are to serve them honestly and diligently, as we read in Ephesians 6. Even slaves were encouraged, if they could obtain their freedom by legal means, that they should do it, of course. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 21, Art thou called being a servant? Uh, now, the, the understanding of that word is helped in the context later on where he compares it with a free man. So this person is not just a, a paid servant, uh, but an actual slave, a bond servant. Art thou called, as called to Christ, being a servant? Care not for it, but if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. So being content in the situation the Lord has placed us, yes, 
we are to be that? Are we also to improve our lot according to the law of the land and the law of the Lord? Absolutely. There are many parables that we could point to that the Lord uses concerning in the investment of money, the investment of a coin, the investment of a talent of gold, and increasing that investment. So we've seen something of the Catholic confusion. We've seen something of contentment. We see the, the very heart of the requirement of the Tenth Commandment. And then finally, charitability. Uh, charitability, brief, brief point, really. Charitability. The Tenth Commandment is the answer. Uh, answer to uh, question uh, 80, if I'm not wrong. The Tenth Commandment requireth full contentment with our own condition, with a right and charitable frame of spirit toward our neighbor and all that is his. So covetousness is not only a humble thankfulness towards God for his provision, for what his wisdom has determined is our portion in life at this moment. Of course, this can vary as we go through life. We may have times of, of difficulty, times of, of, of plenty. But in reference to our neighbor, we are to have a right and charitable frame of spirit. We could say with more modern language, a right and charitable attitude or heart toward him and all that belongs to him. Romans 12 and verse 16 says, Be of the same mind one to another, Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. I mean, all of that taken together, especially condescend to men of low estate, those that are needy, those that are the most needy, those who are of a low estate. What do we think of low estate? Well, we think of uh, those at the lower end of the working class, those that, who are who are at the lower end of, of society, those with social needs and difficulties, uh, th those with uh, mental problems, those with social problems, those with housing problems. We are to condescend to men of low estate. That is, condescend is that we are to humble ourselves, we are to go down to their level, as it were, not in behavior, but as in to help them and to help them up. That is the reason why the Lord gives plenty to few, that they would help the needs of many. So our attitude then, just coming out of that particular application, our attitude then towards our neighbor and to all that is his, is this, is that we are to rejoice in the spiritual and temporal blessings that the Lord has granted to somebody else. So to be happy as I mentioned then, to be happy with what the Lord has given us, to have that contentment with what the Lord has given me now, today. You may hope and desire for something better, but for today, Lord, I, I, I'm, I'm grateful and I'm content with what I have, even with the difficulties, because the Lord is with me. And then as regarding what the other person has, that we have, again, both aspects of covetousness, of course, uh, that we are rejoice. And, uh, and happy for them in all that the Lord has given them. 
as I said, whether it's a spiritual blessing or a temporal blessing, because they too have received this from God. And so we are to love our God for what he gives us, and we are to love our neighbor for what God gives them, not only for what, but in the, in the sense of context of covetousness. And that's a fulfillment of the whole law, of course. Loving the Lord, our God, with all that we have, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 4 to 8 talks about that love, that, that that unconditional love, that agape love, which is translated in a noun form as charity. Charity, unconditional love, suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, that is, forbears all things. Believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. So to understand, and therefore it is to understand that we are to have that right and charitable frame of mind towards our neighbor and all that is his because that it is not by our nature. Our nature is to covet that which somebody has or to despise them for having something that we covet to have. So that's that right and charitable frame of mind is necessary. It's necessary in the church as well if we consider those that excel, excel us in gifts and graces. Because just as in the world where somebody would receive more, that they then could be more generous to help those that are in need, it's the same in the body of Christ, that there are some that will receive more from Christ, more graces, more gifting, will bear more fruit to Christ's glory in order to be a blessing and an example to others in, of the brethren, we may say. And so may we, may we work for improvement in our own temporal and spiritual lot. May we, may we desire it, may we pray for it, of course, and continue to rejoice in that which God has given to others because we don't just pray for ourselves, we pray for others also. A good way of not being covetous or angry or jealous or anything against our neighbor is, is to lovingly take their name upon our lips in prayer to learn to pray for them. It may never solve the problem that exists, but it will certainly change your attitude uh, towards them as you fellowship with the Lord who is all love. So which is the 10th commandment? The 10th commandment is thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, nor his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. And then the 10th commandment requireth full contentment with our own condition, with a right and charitable frame of spirit toward our neighbor and all that is is, and God willing, we'll look at uh, question 81 and its answer uh, another time.
we trust next week. Amen. Let us pray, please. Lord, we do thank Thee for what we've read and studied and the, the points of understanding that we have from the shorter catechism and that looking at the very heart of what covetousness is, is regarding what we have received and regarding what others have received. We pray that Thou would grant Thy Spirit that we may understand this, think on it and apply it in our lives. And grant us, we pray Thee, grace that we may learn full contentment in whichever state that Thou hast put us, whichever state Thou will yet put us. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.